We are picking up in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Today we're going to finish chapter 10 and and just to sneak into chapter 11 by doing verse 1. Uh, if you remember, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the, the church at Corinth. He's writing for two reasons. One reason is because he's heard some things about them that he's not very pleased about. And number two, he's writing an answer to some questions that they had already written to him about and asked him about. Um, and so he's going to answer or continue to answer some of those questions today. But what we're going to talk about today in this last part of chapter 10, he's kind of wrapping up what he's been talking about the last three chapters. And of course, uh, none of these uh, numbers uh, were on a letter. You know, Paul didn't like number out to the side and, you know, make every sentence a verse. And so really the first verse of chapter 11 really connects chapter 10 and chapter 11. And we want to include it today, but we're going to continue this process that he's talking about in eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols. And Paul's a really good speaker. And sometimes he writes in good speakership, And so he tells them what he's going to tell them. He tells them, and then he tells them what he told them. And today he's going to kind of tell them what he told them and kind of wrap it up. So this should kind of end that whole process. But let's read chapter 10, verse 23 through 11, 1. But what we're going to talk about today is this concept that he's he's kind of insinuated. He's kind of talked a little bit around, but today he's going to make it really clear. And that's the fact that love trumps liberty. Love trumps liberty. So let's read verses Uh, Chapter 10, verse 23 through 11, 1, here's what it says. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are uh, disposed to go, Eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience, I, don't, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul finishes this up talking about this idea of uh, meat that's been sacrificed idol. Now remember the, the kind of context of this. Uh, Corinth was full of pagans who worshipped multiple and many gods. And many times what they would do is they would take meat into a, a temple uh, for a false god, an idol. They would sacrifice it there and then they would do a lot of different things with it. Some of that would just go right to the meat market. Nobody would know where it came from or what God it was sacrificed to. Some of it would actually go into kind of a temple restaurant type of thing. So you go, actually go into the uh, a temple of this false God and you have a meal there. And then some would be uh, given to the poor and they would actually share it with others. And so Paul's trying to really talk about all of these processes and when to do what and, and what makes sense. But here's what he talks about first. He says, do what is helpful and encouraging to others instead of self-serving. Do what is helpful and encouraging to others instead of self-serving. Look look at this again in verses 23 and 24. He says, all things are lawful. Now, by the way, when you see quotes like that, he's quoting them. 
They have this saying that they talk about, hey, we're Christians. We know these are false gods. We know they're not real gods. We know that uh, a meat sacrifice to them really doesn't mean anything at all since they don't exist. So all things are lawful. Paul's like, yeah, you're right. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. He repeats them again. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So he's quoting them here, and he's saying, hey, this is right for all believers. But Paul's really speaking to motive here and how we should think about things. Now, most of the time, we ask in our own minds, hey, is it permissible for me to do this? Is it, is it okay for me to do this thing? Is it okay for me to, to, to go to this place? Is it okay for me to participate in these activities? But a lot of times, folks, we ask ourselves the wrong questions. We should be asking, is this helpful or beneficial to anybody? Is this encouraging to anyone? Is this going to bless anybody's life? Even in our self-questioning, we are self-centered, really, at our heart level. Because we ask questions based on what we want. Is it okay for me to do this? I'm wanting to do something. Can I do it? We rarely are purely and totally motivated out of love and concern for others. Now, if we started each day starting with this thought, how can I benefit others today? Rather than I want to do this today, we would probably be living very different lives. Not that we're doing a lot of wrong things, perhaps, but we're probably doing a lot of things that take up our time and energy and effort that aren't very beneficial, that aren't really a blessing to anybody, when we could be being a blessing to someone. Now, this covers issues uh, here he's talking about that are, scriptural, that are not scripturally or inherently evil, okay? But some would believe they are. Now, there are, there are certainly some things that are evil. Do not commit murder. Okay, I think we all probably agree with that. If not, stay after. There will be an extra, you know, class. But, but, but there are, you know, probably everybody in this room uh, agrees that when you're at the quick trip and the guy turns around to grab something, it's not right to grab money out of the drawer and take it for your own. Probably all agree with that. There are some things that are just inherently uh, wrong. We all agree with it. We all believe it as Christians. But folks, there are a lot of things that we deal with in life that are not specifically or even maybe principally dealt with in the scriptures. Now, I thought about listing a bunch of things right here, but here's the thing. As I begin to think, well, I'll, I'll say this. I'll, I'll list this. Even if I list it, half of you are going to go, what do you mean that's not inherently evil? Of course it is. And half of you go, yeah, who would think that that's evil? That's silly. You see, there are things that we do by conscience sake uh, for a lot of different reasons, but there are just some things that, we, that the scripture don't absolutely talk about. The reality is, these are issues of conscience. And we should all try to distinguish what those issues are, folks. Because many times, one of the things that causes divisions in the body is that things that really are issues of conscience, we see as issues of Scripture. We say, well, the Bible kind of says that, and it kind of applies here, and it kind of, I can make it, force it into this, so that if you don't agree with me, you're wrong, and perhaps even evil. Now, even though in our own spirit some things may be a certain matter, it may well not be in everybody's. Now, we, like, again, we don't deal with a lot of this uh, meat sacrifice to idols. And I'm going to go ahead and get myself in trouble by mentioning one of these things. But, 
But clothing, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Clothing is one of the things that, you know, the scripture is very clear that we should wear clothing that covers our bodies and doesn't cause others to absolutely sin because of the crazy and goofy ways that we dress. But there are churches that would say, I'm not dressed appropriately for church. God deserves my best. And if I come to church in jeans, I'm just honoring God. There are other churches that would say, uh, you know, well, this is, this is perfectly fine. In fact, you can come in shorts. We don't care. You see, these are matters of conscience. I would never wear shorts up here, not because I think it's biblically wrong. I'm just not comfortable with it. And I'm not comfortable just in the way I was raised, the things I was taught, all those kinds of things. Not because I can point to a Bible verse that says, do not wear shorts to church. Okay? But, but I don't feel comfortable standing up here and preaching God's word in that kind of attire. Doesn't mean that it, but here's the thing. Just because I feel that way doesn't mean that it's inherently wrong. It's scripturally wrong. There are matters of conscience. And he's wanting to make sure that we understand this. Because this idea of conscience is going to guide the rest of the conversation. I would never go to a church that, that believes this is rebellious and, and show up like this. That's not very loving. If they you know, wore suits, I'd wear a suit. Now, it might be polka dotted or striped or something, but it'd be a suit. All right? And so now he's going to talk about this particular issue of meat sacrifice to idols. But even though we don't deal with that particular thing, there are a whole lot of other things that we deal with in this kind of mode. So, so think about these principles and how they might connect with your life. He says, if no one's conscience is concerned, practice your liberty in Christ. Practice your liberty in Christ. He's going to talk a minute in this scripture and say, hey, listen, you know, we do have liberty in Christ. We have freedom to eat what we want to eat as New Testament believers. But, but if it's going to offend somebody, you don't do that. For instance, man, I, I just love a good steak. But if I invite a family over to my home who are vegans, I'm not going to feed them steak. I'm not going to eat one in front of them. In fact, I know what most of you are thinking that are vegans in our church are thinking, oh, that's why I've never been invited over to the pastor's house. No, no, that's not, that's not why. Okay. But you understand the principle. Let's look at verses 25 through 27. Here's what he says. He says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. So what he's saying here is, look, if you go to the meat market and you buy meat and you don't know where it came from or who was, or what if it was sacrificed to anybody or not or whatever, if you don't know anything about it, just eat it. Listen, what he's saying here is this. Listen, if, if you don't know where the meat came from and somebody invites you to their house, don't ask them. Don't create a situation where there doesn't have to be one. Don't go, hey, do you know where this came from? Should we check it out? Should we talk, call somebody? Should we, you know, what should we do? No, just eat it. If they don't make a big deal out of it, don't make a big deal out of it. Just eat it. Enjoy your liberty in Christ. But, he'll get to that in a minute. But if there's no knowledge of any evil on anyone's part, just, just eat it. Enjoy your liberty. While our freedom in Christ is never meant to like stick it in somebody's face or look what I can do or you know, it doesn't matter. But but God has given us blessings to be enjoyed by us. Now, while there were many dietary restrictions in the Old Testament law, 
In Acts 10, God gave Peter a vision that made clear that those laws no longer apply to believers in Jesus. The law had been fulfilled in Jesus' death, and the unclean animals were no longer taboo. So, so the new believers here in Corinth uh, didn't have to worry about the conscience in a sense if they didn't know anything about the Jews or the Greeks or the pagans or anybody. But, here's the but here, he says, if someone's conscience is going to be offended, limit your liberty in Christ. Limit your liberty in Christ. Look at verses 28 through 30. He says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience, that must be left over. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? And he's going to answer those questions in a moment. What he's saying here is this. Listen, if you're aware that this is going to be a problem, if you're aware that this has been sacrificed uh, to an idol, three things could happen. One, it could offend someone. It could deeply offend them if you ate it and you knew that it had been sacrificed to an idol. Two, it could misdirect somebody in their faith thinking that evil is okay. So as these pagans were coming out of these pagan religions with these uh, false idols, now if, if Paul goes around and eats this food that's been sacrificed to idols, they're going to think, oh, idol worship is okay with Jesus. And the third thing was, he said he could be pushed away from Christ. He caused you to say, well, this is just like all the others. It's nothing different. So knowing that these gods are false, the question might come into our minds, why do I have to be dictated to by wrong assumptions? Why do I have to limit my liberty because they just don't know what's going on? If they think these idols exist, they're just flat out wrong. Why do I have to give up my liberty just to kind of cater to their misinformation? Because we love them. Because we love them. Our self says, well, but I understand. I should be able to do these things. But love says, if this is bad for you in some way, I'll, I'll give up my freedom. I'll give up my liberty. I will cut back on the amount of liberty that I am entitled to simply because I love you and I don't want to harm you. I don't want to misdirect your faith. I don't want you to be confused. I don't want to hurt your feelings or offend you. And so I will do these things, not because I no longer have liberty. I do. But I don't exercise my liberty because I love you more than I love my liberty. And folks, in a culture and a world where we thrive on having rights, where these are my rights, we lose sight sometimes of this idea that we should give up our rights at times for others because we care about them, because we love them, because we want to have a relationship with them. Then he continues and gives them a kind of an answer to these questions. He says, do everything to glorify God. Look at verses 31 and 32. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. 
Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Here he says, listen, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, and by the way, his, his, phrase, his phraseology there is basically whatever it is, eat, drink, clothing, you know, whatever, whatever it is, name it, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. He says, do whatever you do, do it to honor God and to glorify him. Now, what does it mean to glorify God? What does it mean to glorify God? Now, a pastor once said to me, he said, you know, Michael, we, we really can't bring glory to God because he is worthy of all glory, and he will ultimately get all the glory, so the glory is already his. Well, yes, he is entitled. He is entitled to all the honor, all the attention, all the applause, all the glory that anybody would give for anything. He deserves it, and he'll eventually have it all. But you see, right now, he's given us the opportunity to steal some for ourselves if we want to. You know, when anyone takes credit or applause for anything they have done without giving God or reflecting it back to God for him having the credit, we are, in a sense, stealing his glory. So if I, I know this is probably way off uh, your imagination here, but if I was an Olympic athlete, okay, and I, I won some kind of event, uh, it would be very easy to say, man, all my hard work paid off, boy, uh, all that all that training paid off. I, man, I've, I've earned this. I've deserved this. But we forget, who gave me my legs? Who gave me my brain? Who, who gave me my ability to understand how to train? You see, as we think about things, no matter what we achieve, no matter what we gain, no matter what we earn, the reality is we couldn't do any of that without God's blessing. We just couldn't. Now, many people ignore God's blessing. They believe it's theirs. But even when I play an instrument, I, and listen, I've worked hard. I, I've been taking, uh, took drum lessons from the time I was uh, uh, fifth grade all through college, every, all the time, the whole way through. I did it all, all right? And I worked hard and I practiced hard through that. But, but God has given me the innate understanding to be able to have rhythm, and I know not everybody does. I've seen you clap, okay? Not everybody has that. I do. That's, that, I, didn't, I didn't create that. God put that in me. I, I've got two arms. I've got two feet. God's helped me to learn how to be coordinated in some things. And so, folks, everything that we do, really, God deserves all the glory and the credit. And Paul's just saying, listen, do everything to glorify God. If you give up something in order to love someone and to show them preference, you're just glorifying God in that. You're not becoming a victim. You glorify God in that. Paul's saying here, whatever we do, folks, we should point to Christ, honor him, and make him famous without creating any barriers to other people that aren't necessary to come to him. He mentions here Jews, Greeks, and the church. So he's really including everyone. He's saying, listen, uh, you know, if, if the Jews invite me over, I'm going to just, I'm going to do their dietary laws. Not because I have to, but because I love them and I don't want to offend them. And I want them to come to Christ. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to respect them. He says, hey, if there's pagans, uh, the Greeks, I'm going to go and eat with them if they invite me over. 
And then if I don't know anything about the meat, I'll just eat it. And if they tell me it's been sacrificed to an idol, I'll push it away and say, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't do that because I don't want to mislead them. And he's saying, even in the church, if people create some things or conscience for conscience sake that I don't even understand, maybe they don't eat certain things for certain reasons, fine. When I'm with them, I'm going to give in to that. I'm going to give up my liberty in order to love them and to build a relationship with them and to connect with them because it honors Christ. So I hope this puts an end to all of your questions about eating dinner with somebody else and what you should or shouldn't do, but a whole lot of other things, a whole lot of other things are in this category. But then he ends or starts, depending on how you want to number the verses, with this point, and that's to be an example of Christ that others can follow. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he, he says, one of my favorite verses to talk about in discipleship, he says, be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, Paul wasn't saying here that he was perfect. He wasn't saying, hey, look, Jesus and I are on the same level, so if you're following me, you're... No, he's not saying that. He's saying he could follow Christ pretty well, and if you just came and followed what he was doing, he could be an example. And, and you, could, you could see it. You could follow him. You could reproduce it. He put God's glory and the benefit of others ahead of himself on a very continuous basis. And he's saying, listen, if you'll just come and do what I do, you'll be following Christ. Now, we should be able to say this with integrity to those we intend to lead. We should be able to, to those that we are discipling, those that we are investing in, those that we intend to lead, we should be able to say, listen, if you'll just come and follow me, if you'll just come and do what I do, you'll be following Christ because I'm following Christ. Not perfectly, but at a level that would allow you to follow me with integrity. Now, how did Jesus have this attitude? How did Jesus have this attitude of, of giving up his rights to put others ahead of himself? Well, the best example I know of that is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Here's what Jesus did to, to actually give us this model so that Paul can say what he just said. He says, have this, this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Folks, Jesus preexisted. Unlike us who, whose spirit came into uh, uh, existence when we were conceived, Jesus preexisted. And he preexisted in the form of God with God. And what the scripture is saying is he had all of the rights in the universe. He had all the rights of the creator because he was the creator. And yet, because he loved us, he set aside those rights. What it's implying is Jesus could have said, listen, I'm God. I don't have to go down there. I don't have to go down to the planet and put on flesh. I don't have to become a man. I don't have to do that. That's the implication 
but he willingly gave up his rights to remain God. He still remained God, but not, he was 100% God, but he also became 100% man at the same time. He gave up his rights to remain in heaven and came here humbly, putting aside his own rights because he loved us, because he saw us in our sinfulness. And folks, let's just be really honest. As hard as we try to stop doing wrong things, we just simply don't have the capacity to do it. If you think you do, you have the capacity to justify because we have a tendency to do that. By the way, I I don't know if you know this, but we're all liars and we lie to ourselves more than we lie to anybody else. But Jesus took on the form of a man, came to the earth, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross to be the sacrifice for us who could not perform perfection. And so by putting our faith and trust in what he did on the cross, believing that he rose three days later, we can have our sins forgiven. We can have a blank slate. We can do all those things. But what Paul's saying is even Jesus came and gave up his rights because love trumps liberty. Love trumps rights. In our culture, folks, we've got to be really careful that we don't exercise our rights at the cost of relationships, at the cost of unity in the body of Christ, at the cost of kindness, and really focus Focus on being the kind of person that Paul's talking about right here and says, listen, I know I've got rights in Jesus. I know I've got liberty in Christ. But not everything's beneficial. Not everything's helpful. Not everything blesses somebody else or or encourages them. But we can be the kind of people that say, when me helping somebody or encouraging them uh, comes into contrast or a conflict with my rights, I just put my rights aside. Instead of battling and fighting to keep them, I just lay them down in order to build relationships with others and point them to a God who deeply loves them. That's what Paul's saying here. That's what he's talking about. And so throughout this whole chapters 8, 9, and 10, he's been talking about this real key process. It's just the fact that, folks, if we love one another, if we really know God, we will love like God And if we do know God, we should love others and lay down our liberty, lay down our rights, if that's what it takes to love them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that guides and teaches us. Father, we are so thankful that you loved us when we were not very lovely. In fact, sometimes we still aren't very lovely. But God, you sent your son Jesus, and he came and set aside his rights to become a man, to live and die a death that he did not deserve, but we did. Father, thank you for modeling for us the ability to lay down our rights. God, we thank you for freeing us from legalism, from the law, and we are thankful that we have immense liberty, not liberty to sin, but liberty in Christ. We, we just have so much But God, help us as we interact with other people to really be selfless and see how we must or should give up those rights 
in order to minister to others, to point them to you. And then God, give us really the capacity uh, through following your son and through your spirit in us to lay those rights down and to just love others in a way and a manner which you loved us. God, help us. Help us to put these principles into practice uh, in our families, in our church, and in our community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.